Hey, everyone, it's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. I'm excited today to be in, uh, to be joined by uh, a colleague and friend that I've known for a few years, uh, Allison McLeod. Allison, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Russ. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, glad to. I uh, always enjoy speaking with you, so glad to have you uh, with us today. Why don't, why don't we start by uh, having you just tell us a little bit about yourself for those that are listening that might not be familiar with you. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Allison McLeod. I'm a tax advisor. I have been doing this uh, going on 20 years, and uh, I've seen a lot of changes, especially recently. Um, I live in the Atlanta area. I work for myself and have done so for about mm, seven, eight years now. Yeah, and um, you've, I, I guess in the time you and I have known each other, you've worked with uh, as I recall, you've worked for other firms or with other partners. And then a few years ago, you kind of went out on your own to, la- to launch Atlanta Tax. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. This is the, the second iteration of working for myself. But I think this is the one I will stick with. Yeah, yeah. And so in addition to tax, I know you also have your CFP. So you have a, a deep understanding of things beyond tax as it relates to personal financial planning, uh, personal finance in general. Um, you really bring up... In my experience, you really bring a, a well-rounded skill set to the table when you're working with your clients and, and helping people out. Um, have you found have you found a particular area of either tax and or personal finance that you particularly enjoy working with or helping people out with? Oh yeah, yeah, and, I, and thank you for the the nice commentary. Um, yeah, I, I do find that being a CFP is very helpful to um, kind of play on the team. Uh, with my clients and their financial advisors and really understand that taxes are a big deal, but they're really only one component of folks' long-term financial planning goals. So um, yeah, I, right these days, my focus is on working with folks that are high net worth, high earners. So it could look like folks who are handling an inheritance, or maybe they're retiring or semi-retiring and kind of transitioning and seeing what that looks like. Um, I have a number of folks who are still in their working years uh, likely getting some sort of executive compensation, like non-qualified stock options, ISOs, restricted stock units, all that good stuff, and, and trying to figure out what that means to their tax situation. So that's kind of the space that I concentrate in on these days. Yeah, great. Well, before we before we kind of carry on the conversation, why don't you, just to let people get to know you a little bit more personally, why don't you share something interesting about yourself that maybe maybe some of your friends wouldn't even be aware of? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I do have something going on right now that I really haven't told many people about. No no real reason that I haven't. I just maybe I was waiting for it to be done. But um, for several years now, I've been a practitioner of yoga and I've wanted to become a yoga teacher. Not as my full time job. I'm not going to leave tax anytime soon, but just to uh, sort of enhance my personal life and, and learn more about yoga and maybe able to be able to do this sort of on a volunteer basis. So um, typically yoga teacher training that I have looked into is offered in the spring when I'm busiest with taxes. So it was kind of always something I thought that I would have to wait until retirement for. Uh, but I guess one of the good good sides of, of having a pandemic is that there's a lot more offerings um, year long and online. And so I was able to find a yoga teacher training course um, online, and um, I'm working on that. So we'll hopefully be a yoga teacher in the next few months. Congrats. That's awesome. 
Yeah, thank that, you. Thank yeah, you. That, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, so I, I know you mentioned that's something you've had an interest in, in and practiced for a long time. But how long have you wanted to get your teacher certification? Yeah, I would say it's something that I've looked into on and off for probably about the past five or six years. Um, again, it was just always, I looked at the timing and thought, oh, I can't start anything in March. There's no way. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of exciting to realize it was something that was accessible, attainable for me right now. That's awesome. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to have a follow up conversation in the future and hear, <laughs> hear how uh, hear how your uh, yoga is going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. So I know you mentioned tax. I know you mentioned you have your certified financial planner designation. You do a lot work with different clients at different stages of their lives on different things with regard to tax and personal finance. But if you had to kind of encapsulate what it is you do in simple terms, almost like you were explaining it to a child, um, what would you, how, how would you, <laughs> how would you describe your work in, in simple terms? Yeah, sure. So I guess if I was going to explain it to a little kid, I, I, you know, I would, I'd first ask them, do you get an allowance? Um, a lot of kids do. And, and I'd probably say, look, if, if you got your allowance for doing work around the house and then someone came along and said, I want a piece of your allowance, how would you feel about that? Would you want someone to help you figure that out? Um, so that's that's pretty much what I do. That's a, that's an interesting spin, but I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that I think and I, I think you I think you did a nice job of putting that in simple terms that I think anyone could get their hands around. So. Um, in your work, Allison, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you help people address or solve in their lives? I would say, Rush, that is probably just being educated around taxes. They are The U.S. tax system is needlessly complicated. Federal, state, income taxes, sales taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes. I mean, everything gets taxed. The same dollar gets taxed multiple ways. Um and it's it's very just so so convoluted, and most folks really don't have a grasp of uh, their their own tax situation, let alone the greater tax situation. What's going on out there? What what laws are in place? What could impact them? So I would say that you know my my approach has been one of of education, trying to really understand what's going on with my clients, and then kind of matching that up with the applicable tax law and teaching them as much as I possibly can about that. Um, so they can kind of figure out what's going on and, and make their own best decisions. And that is really the biggest challenge is just that education component, because tax law is just so complicated. And every time Congress meets, it gets worse and worse. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not striking old laws off the books, by and large. It's, it's adding on constantly. And, and that's really uh, a lot of that challenge. Well, I couldn't. Sadly, I couldn't agree more about the complicated <laughs> yeah. nature of the tax law. And I, I, I have an opinion. But what do you think? Is this going to get any better anytime soon, or is it just kind of the this is kind of the beast we're living with? It could get better. It could easily get better. But no, I don't. I don't see that. It doesn't seem to be the way to go. Folks seem to want to. Uh, lawmakers seem to want to put their mark on things by making a new law, and uh, kind of spinning it in such a way that it appeals to their audience you know, rather than looking back and kind of starting from scratch and saying, how can we make things simpler? How can we make things easier? How can we make the IRS a more taxpayer-friendly organization? Um, it, it seems to be um, not their area of focus. No, I, I, don't, I don't see tax law getting any easier anytime soon. Yeah, sadly, I don't either, but uh, I guess that's uh, job security for you, which is a good thing. 
Uh, <laughs> you know what? If, if taxes could be simpler, easier to the point that people like me didn't have jobs, I'd go find something else to do. Hey, then I would be a yoga teacher all day long. Um, so yeah, I, I, it is job security, but in a very sad and unfortunate way. Yeah. Um, I, I, I appreciate your perspective <laughs> on that, but yeah, what a, what a mess. Um, sadly yeah. not something we're going to solve today on this conversation. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll move along. Um, <laughs> so you've been doing this for 20 ish years in different capacities yeah. now, now, you know, running your own firm, working for yourself. Um, what's a favorite client success story? that comes to mind as you think back over the years of work you've done for, for people? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I have some general thoughts and then one specific generally though, I really enjoy it when I start working with someone who's either been sort of a DIY um, tax preparer for themselves. So they they've done their own tax returns and turbo tax and you know, TurboTax is fine, you know, depending on your tax situation, but it's it's like any other application. It's garbage in, garbage out. So, um, you know, a lot of times I'll get folks that have been in this situation for years and they just want someone to come take a look. And, and I realize there's, there's several ways that they've sort of overpaid taxes unnecessarily throughout the years and we can put them on a more optimal path. And so in general, when I get folks like that, it's very rewarding. I more more specifically, concretely, I had a pro bono case that I worked uh, within the past 12 months that was really rewarding. It was a young man who uh, the IRS just was not giving him his refund. And it was because uh, one of the employers he worked for had gone bankrupt and had not filed his W-2 properly. Um, and we were able to get him all his money back um, after he had exhausted all his own uh, avenues um, and I was able to come in and, and work with a special branch of the IRS to get all that straightened out for him. And um, even I was holding my breath the whole time. Um, so we got him back about $10,000. He was 100% entitled to. It was totally his money. Um, but that that one that one hit the heart a little bit harder than some of the other ones. And I was pretty excited about that. That resolved itself like in February or so. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's clearly a win all the way around. So uh, yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. Out of curiosity. And, and I know, I know this is pure opinion, but do, <laughs> are you, are you of the mindset that it's better for people to pay more taxes throughout the year and get a refund back at tax filing or to kind of better balance their withholding uh, if they, if they're, a, if they're a W2 employee, for example, and, um, either write a small check or, or try to kind of break even when it comes tax time for tax filing. Yeah, I would say that's not a one size fits all answer. Um, I know some people have hard lines on that. Um, my my goal, at least with my clients, is just for the ones who are interested in, in looking at it during the year, we'll do tax planning to kind of see what that looks like, what next April might be. And, you know, if they're over or underpaid managing to that, and it may not be making advance payments. It may just be setting aside. Um, so, you know, my best advice there is just to have some idea of what's going to happen. And if you're not a good saver, um, which is unfortunately a lot of folks, uh, but if you're not a good saver, then maybe you do want some extra withholding. On the other hand, if you're a good saver and you can estimate your taxes throughout the year pretty easily, then you know, why not be slightly underpaid or even largely underpaid, depending on your situation, um, and just be able to write a check uh, the following April. So facts and circumstances, year to year, client to client, 
I wish I had a, a hard and fast rule for you, but I don't. Well, I think that's probably pretty indicative of, of a lot of the work you do and, and the work I do as well. I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to circumstances on the, the individual or the family, what they're dealing with, what their goals yep. are, et cetera. Yep. Um, so I, I, so I, I agree. I think, I think, I think that's a, a, a good and balanced answer. Um, <laughs> not, not that there's a right or wrong here. Um, it depends, Russ. Of course it does. Um, <laughs> Allison, what surprised you most about your work over the years in tax and just kind of personal finance in general? Mm, I, I would never have guessed that tax law would change so often as it does. Even even when, you know, we've had a lot of significant tax reform in the past three years, four years. Uh, but even without that, there there's just always something changing. There's always something new. There's a court case that you think uh, an area of tax law was settled and the court decides in a way that was, um, you know, unexpected. And so you have to rethink things. So the, you know, the actual work you're doing changes quite often. So I, I don't think I saw that coming. And then I think, and you may have found this true um, in, in your line of work as well, but I don't think I realized how much uh, psychology comes into it. Um, you know, kind of just, just back to our last discussion about, you know, is it better to be overpaid or underpaid when it comes to filing your tax return? Um, you know, you think that that's just about the numbers, but it's not. It's really about, you know, each individual's per person's uh, you know, feelings about, you know, can I sleep at night if I owe the government money or can I sleep at night if they owe me money? Um, and there's so much to that. You know, I can't I can't deliver the same news to two different clients the same way. You know, so I think those are those are the big things. It's just um, realizing how much the the actual technical side of my job changes, and as well as how I'm I'm really required to, in some ways, be sort of like a financial therapist. Um, I, I wouldn't have anticipated either of those. Do you do you enjoy kind of the dynamic, changing nature of the tax law and and the fact that you have to keep up with stuff and make adjustments and maybe advice you gave 12 months ago is going to be very different than advice uh, you'd give to the same person this year based on new legislation, new laws, new rules, new regulations? No, no, I don't. Uh, kind of going back to our conversation earlier, uh, there are objective and agreed upon components of good tax law and tax law that is constantly changing. It doesn't fit into that. Um, tax law should be simple. It should be consistent. It should be easy for folks to understand and comply with. Um, it's very frustrating to folks to, you know, whether they're business owners or um, W-2 employees or retirees or whatever their situation, it really doesn't matter um, to have to keep up with this, even if it's paying somebody like me to help them, they're still having to keep up with it and you know, try to understand their situation, trying to grasp why things are changing. It's very frustrating. It's very confusing. So the answer to, to my clients isn't good. So no, I, I don't like having to keep up with that at all. Yeah, well, I, I, I would think it would be frustrating. So I'm not surprised if you say that. It's just, <laughs> it, it's, 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 uh, it's sad that we're dealing with a tax system that creates yeah. like this moving target every year that you yeah. need to jump through this hoop or, you know, that hoop just to try to, a file accurately on time, not much less optimize your taxes like like you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. And, and I guess that goes back to what you kind of opened with, which is the importance of education and helping people get clear about, you know, what it is they're trying to do. Um, you helping them kind of get organized and, and make this maybe hopefully a little bit less overwhelming or a little less intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also, I think, ties into what you were just talking about, which is the psychology of it. I, um, I've talked with prior guests. I'm sure I'll address it with um, future guests that I'm just fascinated by the whole decision making and psychology when it comes to money in general. And, and taxes is clearly a part of that. So I'm not surprised to hear um, hear you say, and I, I'm actually happy to hear you say that you acknowledge the kind of the behavioral or psychological components that come come into into your work and into your interactions with your clients. Because um, I deal with that too, and there's no easy answers there, but it, uh, it certainly keeps things it keeps things interesting. It it does, and I think I, I'll make another observation. The the more complicated tax law becomes. And the more that folks like me have to chase it and chase it and chase it, um, the harder and harder it becomes to um, to cater to everyone's different approach to their money. Because we're so busy figuring out what the new tax rules are, you know, where it's 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 time consuming. Right. It's also time consuming to figure out how best to educate any particular client and interact with them. Some folks want a phone call. Some folks want email. Some folks are going to have to break some news to them easily. Some folks just want the facts and they move on. And um, when you're busy trying to figure out what Congress is doing and why and interpreting it and that sort of thing, um, you know, I think some of that maybe if I can make a, a little apology for my industry is is probably why we're not known so much for our people skills, um, because we're just kind of trying to keep up with the day to day. Does do you would you say that as a result of that, it it makes you a little less able to be as proactive with your clients as you'd like to be? I mean, it it almost mm-hmm. sounds like you're almost in a situation where you kind of have to be reactive, where you have to be very nimble and you're always learning and trying to stay on the you know the bleeding edge of what's happening, so you can then relay that information to, to your clients. But I wonder if that takes away from your ability to be maybe more, more proactive um, that you'd otherwise prefer to be. That is a really good question. Yes and no. So yes, in general, it does. Particularly, uh, for example, we saw this with legislation that passed early 2021. It was retroactive to 2020. People had already filed their tax returns. <laughs> like, there's no way you can stay in the top of tax law that's retroactive. And um, as you're, I'm sure you're aware, some of what's the talk that's going on right now is that there could be retroactive changes to capital gains rates for folks in certain income thresholds. How do you, you know? How do you really um, help folks get get ahead of something that's going to happen in the past? Yeah. Um, so I have to say, you know, that's really challenging, even if it's not retroactive, something that's changing right now. We saw this with the CARES Act of 2020 um, that just had a whole bunch of new stuff in it, tax and non-tax. And a lot of it didn't really make any sense. And there was a whole issue there. Uh, so, yes, um, what I think for me, it's, you know, either forced me to do or maybe just made sense to do is that, you know, I narrow down who I work with. 
So I'm, I don't take on a broad range of clients. There's just so many folks in so many situations I just do not work with simply because I don't, don't want to keep up with their area of tax law or I don't want to keep up with their industry changes um, that tax law will affect. Uh, so that's one way that I you know, work around that. Um, and I think that's, you know, from at least from my perspective, that seems to be more and more common. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just sounds like a smart way to run run your business and not kill yourself in the process. So, uh, so good for you. Um, I think a lot of people think of accountants, CPAs, tax preparers. I think they're. I think people kind of have a preconceived notion of what it is you do or how you work with people. Would you say, Allison, that there's any common misconceptions about the work you do that you often have to? re-educate people on or explain to people they, they maybe come to the table or they're introduced to you and, and they think you do A, B, and C and you actually do X, Y, and Z. That's interesting. Yeah. I, um, most people end up coming to me because they know they need a tax return filed. You know, they don't, they don't really understand what I do. Um, they trust CPAs because for some reason we still have good branding, which I'm very happy about. Um, and, and I think by and large, we've earned it. Um, and, and they know that many of us, including me, file tax returns. Uh, but it's not until we start having conversations and that relationship develops where they kind of see more of, of what it is that I do. I think um, there's probably this misconception, and it's just part of the word accounting, is that we're counting and we love math. And we're sitting there um, at our desk, which, well, that's pretty much true, but that we're just, you know, adding, multiplying, we're doing all this crazy math. And, um, you know, we have calculators for that. And we let our calculators and our software and Excel and all that do really the, the hard lifting on the math side for us. Most of us don't really do complicated math. I sure don't. I'm not doing calculus, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of algebra here and there. Um but really, we're we're analyzing. We're analyzing, well, at least for me, since I'm a tax professional, I'm analyzing the intersection between your financial situation and applicable tax law and working with you to give you some optimal answers. And I think until folks really start working with someone like me, they don't realize that that's what we do. It's really more about the analysis and trying to uh, help somebody navigate their different choices and come up with ones that are better than others, you know, that are from both tax and non-tax perspectives. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, I'm glad you shared that. I, I, I think, I think something I'd like to highlight there is that while most people are come to you because they need their tax return filed as they get to know you and develop a relationship, there's a lot more there that you can do to round out the relationship and your advice and, and help them make smarter, more informed choices, or, or at least that's kind of how I interpreted what you said. So, um, so yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So, um, so I've got a nephew who is a, let's see, he's a sophomore over at Samford in Birmingham. And he, I think is pretty much decided he wants to go into tax. I think he's on track to um, graduate with a, uh, a degree in tax. I think he's on track to get his CPA uh, exam. And I think he's on, I think he's going to do a master's of tax after he gets his bachelor's and the CPA. Um, but for other, let's say, let's say a high school senior or someone in college that listens to this, or they've talked to someone else and they say, you know, I really like what Allison's talking about. That sounds like it's interesting. 
Um, I, I maybe have a, an aptitude for math or for analysis. Um, you know, clearly at, at this stage, it doesn't look like, you know, tax filing is going anywhere anytime soon. What advice would you give to a student that maybe would like to learn more or is interested in, in possibly pursuing some kind of career in uh, tax or tax preparation or as a tax professional? Well, I, I'm going to say something that not all of my colleagues like to hear. My, my advice might be a little bit different. I, uh, we talked earlier about my designations. I, I am a certified uh, public accountant. It is a state license. I had to um, go through a lot <laughs> to get that license. Um, the way the CPA exam was structured when I took it and, and still currently is, is it's, it's a rolling 18-month period in which you take four tests. Um, they're pretty challenging. They may have nothing to do with the actual work that you're currently doing or will do in the future. Um, for instance, all I do is tax and tax was just one component of the CPA exam. There's a lot else in there and might be true for others. They never touch tax and yet they'll have to learn some fairly esoteric tax law to get through the exam. Um, the, the license has served me well. I can't lie. Um, but you know, I've also been doing this 20 years and times have greatly changed. So my what I have seen over the years is for me, for someone at my age and my stage in my profession, the CPA uh, licenses is a good thing to have and expect it really. Um, but I would say for someone who's starting out to evaluate that a little bit more closely, if, if having a CPA license makes sense for what you want to do. Um, you know, again, times have changed. And what I have seen value in over the years is one, having a large network of colleagues, mentors, advocates, folks that you can go to for business development, professional development, uh, commiseration, um, helping you get a job, helping you start a business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's something that takes a long time to build up. Um, if you're if you're asking me, do you have 18 months of your free time that you can devote to something professional? You know, weigh weigh the CPA license against building a network. Um, the other thing I weigh it against too is getting into software development, building an app. Um, more and more and more, this profession is electronic; it's digital, um, and we're very undersupported as a profession. Um, not that there aren't tax softwares and auditing softwares. There are, um, but we gripe about them all the time. So, you know, if you're thinking, I like tax, I like accounting, I want to kind of get into the profession and see what's going on. You know, maybe, you know, if you have, again, 18 months of free time, uh, maybe instead of getting a CPA license, design an app, you know, design a program, figure out what's needed and, and see if you can build that. So, that's a very that's a very different thing, and I'm not saying don't get the CPA license. Just maybe think about it. Well, I, I actually I appreciate it. I, I think that's a refreshing perspective, especially coming from you, who's been at this for 20 years. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of ways to be involved in the tax profession without necessarily getting a mm -hmm. CPA or even filing tax returns. If you want to do yeah. something on the IT side or develop an app or something like that, or um, you can maybe be uh, maybe more indirectly involved in tax working for maybe a larger firm to kind of test the waters and see if it's something you actually enjoy doing or not. I mean, as I recall, um, you you did not, I don't, I don't believe becoming a CPA was a childhood dream of yours. I think, if, I think 
I think, as I recall, you were originally planning to be a, a vet. Is that right? Yes, yes. That was probably when I was a, a tween, a teenager. That was really what I wanted to do. But I, I will actually have to go back a little bit earlier than that and say when I was a little tyke, I would take the piggy bank out. If I went to someone's house, like my, my aunt, my grandparents, whoever, I'd take the piggy bank out and I would open it on the floor and, and, and let all the change go everywhere. And I would count it up and put it in piles and tell everybody how much it costs. And it's like, well, she likes to count money. She can either be a banker, an accountant, or a drug dealer. And, you know, fortunately, I, I became an accountant. But, um, yeah, it's there There are, kind of going back to your point, there are a lot of ways to, to be involved in this work. And it can look a lot of different ways. So even though you at one point had aspirations to be a, a veterinarian, it sounds like maybe accounting was uh, was in your blood at an early age. Maybe it was, you know, it's interesting. There's there no, no accountants in my family. Um, everybody's like an architect or a teacher. My mom is a newspaper reporter. Like there's no, nobody owns their own business um, or anything like that. Um, but maybe there was just something there. I was like, you know, I guess I like money. Um, I don't know if at the age of five, I had any, you know, insights or analysis to, to offer in the coins that I was counting. Um, that did come along a lot later, though. Yeah, well, thank, that's, a, that's a cool story. I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you shared it. So, um, so as you know, Allison, this is Women's Retirement Radio. So everything, yeah. that, everything that we do and talk about kind of comes back to retirement for women and their families. So I'm curious, when you think of the word retirement, what comes to mind for you personally? I would say my definition of retirement is having the freedom to choose what you do on a daily basis. In terms of work or just in broadly in general? And just in general. Yeah. But it, it could be work. You know, I I see this a lot with my clients where they quote unquote retire, but they never stop working. Yeah. And whether that's good or bad is for another conversation for another day. Um, you can attach some value judgments to that, I suppose. Um, but but they choose it. Yeah. It's difference. You know, they are financially secure. And so if they continue to work, it is at their choice and not because it's a necessity. Well, and you've maybe seen or know people, too, that have also retired, but and they, they, they can afford to retire, but they don't really retire to something. And so they spend mm-hmm. a lot of their time just kind of sitting around. They don't really have a lot of. Mm. a lot going on in their daily routine. They maybe lost some of their social, social network that was, uh, you know, they got from work or whatever. And, and that, in my experience, can lead to declines in health or declines in cognitive ability, things like that. So I, I like your perspective because as long as it's a choice and you're not being forced to make a decision, I think for those that continue to, whether it's work or volunteer or spend time with family, as long as, long as you got something going on to kind of occupy your time and your mind, I think that's, I think that's just a healthier approach to what I think we generally think of when we, when we talk about retirement. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work of Peter Drucker, who is pretty much the father of modern management theory. He did a lot of uh, work uh, studies with corporate executives in the early mid 1900s. And he talked about that, that type of person, the executive retiring and what did that look like? And they found by and large, and, you know, we're talking, you know, this is this is our evidence. We, we already know it, too. But studies have proven that folks who, you know, retire, but they didn't. But all they did was work. 
you know, they didn't have time set aside for their family. They didn't have time set aside for their community. Regardless of what big plans they have in retirement, they actually didn't go to those plans because they they just didn't know how to do it. They hadn't been doing it all along. And and for me, at least for myself personally, I, I've taken that that study, those studies to heart. Um, and so I try to kind of pre-retire, you know, build that in the things that I see myself doing when I retire. I, I try to do those now um, so that I'm, I'm kind of retiring as I go, which is a luxury, to be honest. Um, but it's definitely one that I take advantage of. Well, good for you. I mean, I I, um, I, I think there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, and what I what I hate to see people do is kind of sign up for the deferred life plan where they're they think, well, I'll do all this cool stuff that I've always wanted to do when I've got time, when I'm retired, and that might be when I'm 60 or 65 or later. And and A, you don't know you're gonna A, you don't know if you're gonna live that long. Hopefully you mm-hmm. do. B, you don't know that if you're living how healthy you're gonna be. Um, so I, I like the idea of planning for and preparing for the future, but enjoying your life and doing some things, you know, along the way instead of waiting another. 20 or 25 or more years thinking you're going to do it all, you know, down the road. Cause you may not, might not be able to, or things might not play out quite the way you think they may. So um, I applaud you. I think, I think doing some of the many retirements along the way is a, is a cool way to, to do it and a great way to, a great way to live life. So good for you. Um, so Allison, I, you know, I, I've, I've written about, and I've talked about, um, you know, I think women generally, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, have, have some challenges um, that they face that that maybe their male counterparts don't. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with some. I could I could list some. What what's a what's a what's the biggest challenge you think women face when they're planning for their own retirements? that's a good question, Russ. I'm not sure that I'm the best person to answer that um, just because of the way I do my work and interact with clients. But but one thing that I do see occasionally that, um, gosh, I, I kind of take it personally and find it a little distressing um, is, is there's some, some notion that someone else will help them solve their money problems. Um, and, and I don't see this all the time, but when I do, it's honestly disastrous for the individual. Um, it's, you know, there's a difference between delegation and abdication, right? Yeah. Um, and, and what I see, what I see with good client relationships is delegation. Um, but from time to time, I will see folks who are in that abdication and it, it could be all kinds of things. It could be, um, you know, it's just a bad money story, you know, how, how they were raised around money and they don't want to talk about it. Don't want to deal with it for various reasons. Um, it could be how they receive their money later in life. Um, you know, it could be that, you know, they inherited the money from someone who passed away and now there's sort of this emotional angst around the money. Um, I, I do see that somewhat with folks that are, are getting in family money, or if it's a case of divorce, um, sometimes I'll see women who um, their spouse was the breadwinner. They're getting some alimony and maybe a lump sum payout, but then that is going to run out. And and over the years, I have to watch that run out. And they have like no plan to supplement this income, um, and their standard of living is going to be greatly impacted. But they're in denial. 
So I, I don't know how to sum all that up other than to say maybe what I see when I do see it as, as an issue is sometimes folks just kind of show up to their retirement and it kind of just is what it is and it's not what they were expecting. Yeah, I've, uh, I've experienced that. And I think you and I've discussed it in prior conversations, but yeah, I, I've experienced that with people, especially around divorce, which you mentioned, where uh, either by either by conscious decision or just kind of unconscious, it kind of fell into, you know, happening this way where the, the husband maybe is the breadwinner, like you said, they kind of take the primary responsibility of the family finances and the wife maybe handles the checkbook, pays the bills, mm-hmm. kind of knows what's going in or out, but maybe doesn't have as much familiarity with investments or income sources or, you know, the plan for the future, like you're talking about. And, and yeah, whether it's, uh, whether it's a divorce, an unexpected divorce or the loss of a spouse or other situations, I mean, it can be a really, really rude awakening, especially if it happens later in life to someone that's say, um, say that yeah, 55, yeah. 60 plus years old, yep. um, that, you know, going back into the workforce to earn a meaningful income, I won't say it's impossible, but it, it, that's going to be a pretty tough situation. And, and yeah, it's, it's yeah. Uh, like you said, I mean, they're, they basically kind of have to play the hand they've been dealt at that point. And it can be a, it can be a really, uh, it can be a really stark um, realization and, and it can often cause our, our call for a big lifestyle change. So um, yeah. it's sad, but um, I think, I think you highlight a, a, a major challenge that people need to think about and, and be aware of. Um, from your perspective, uh, Allison, and I, I know you're not typically working with the nest necessarily kind of the, the pre retiree, uh, woman that's getting ready to, you know, step, step over the line into retirement, but, um, you do work with a lot of women. I, I know you work with some, um, you know, women business owners and, and women that are in relationships and things like that. How does your work, um, how would you say your work impacts women and their families as they're thinking about or planning for retirement, even if even if retirement's 10 or 15 or more years down the road? Yeah, you know, kind of going back to how complicated our tax code is um, and, and what I said earlier about the same dollar getting taxed multiple times, multiple ways. I think a lot of us take for granted just how expensive taxes are. I think you do a poll, um, ask folks just generally what's their largest expense. And most people will say housing. It's not housing, it's taxes. It's taxes for pretty much everybody. Um, so, but they, for most of us who are receiving our income in the form of a W-2, we're working for a company, somebody else, those taxes primarily get withheld out of our paycheck. And it's like, it's like they didn't happen. Um, So there's a, simultaneously, I think folks in this country know our taxes are too complicated. Um, But on the other side of that, most of us don't really see that, feel that bite. You know, even our property taxes are taken out, for many of us, taken out monthly in our, our mortgage payments. So there's there's all kinds of ways that we don't really see taxes or don't think about taxes, even though we're paying so much in taxes. So for for me, when I'm helping people as part of their overall long term financial plan, you know, they have 
a range, a, a, maybe not a number, but a range of numbers. And if they can get to, you know, between this number and that number of net worth, they know that they can retire comfortably and spend, you know, give generously and take care of their kids. All their, their goals can be met or, or at least reasonably assured that their goals can be met. Um, and taxes are really a, a big part of that. They really are. Um, so, you know, for me, that is, I kind of, again, goes back to education. Uh, I would love for folks who are, you know, a decade or two out or really anybody, but certainly someone who's kind of looking at that long-term plan to see in there, is there anywhere, whether it's, you know, in the tax deferred accounts, if it's a taxable account, potentially sometimes if you're receiving a W-2, but that's harder. Just If there are ways that you could tweak things here and there and do things slightly different, that would save you some meaningful tax dollars now. Um, don't give that to the government. Instead, give it to yourself. You know, Maybe you give more generously again, or, or maybe you're able to put away a little bit more um, into your investment vehicles or something like that. But just kind of that awareness of how expensive taxes really are. It's interesting you 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 bring that up because I, I know we were talking about earlier like underpaying versus overpaying, getting a refund versus writing a check. Mm-hmm. But um, but what what we didn't talk about then and what you're highlighting now is that people are just often detached from their total amount of taxes they're paying. Um, so they're they're kind of focused on do I owe do I owe more? Do I get a refund back? But they don't realize that they might be paying twenty five plus percent of their overall income in a year to some form of taxes. And you're right. I, I I think people often lose sight of the fact that clearly, maybe not in any certain year, but certainly over their lifetime, taxes are far and away probably going to be their largest expense by by a long shot. So um, I think you raise a, an interesting point there, and one that people should take to heart and be aware of as they're you know thinking about retirement, whether that's five years or fifteen or more years uh, ahead of them, um, because yeah, clearly taxes are going to play a big role both leading up to and you know, beyond retirement. Um, kind of on kind of on that same theme, I'd love to get your, I have an opinion here, but I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, like, so I've, I've heard and read like a lot of financial advisors and planners think that depending on someone's tra- tax stru- structure, um, that if they have, um, if they're in a lower tax bracket, let's say they're in the 22% tax bracket, um, they should, um, they should do a Roth conversion to basically fill up that tax bracket up to the up to the next bracket. As an example, um, we don't need to get any numbers, um, and they think that should be an annual kind of something you do every year, with the expectation that you know all all kind of fingers point to taxes going up in the future. My well, I won't tell you what I think. Um, I just like to know. <laughs> I just like to know what you think. Do you, do you think like systematic ongoing Roth conversions make sense given? you know, in a certain set of circumstances. Okay. (laughs) All right. So I definitely do a lot of this work with clients, especially ones who are um, heading into retirement. Maybe it's their early retirement years and uh, they, you know, again, going back to what you're saying, you're looking, if you want to do the strategy, you're looking for low income periods because you don't want to push yourself unnecessarily into high tax brackets or higher tax brackets. So generally what that means is someone who's retired and now their W-2 income has fallen off 
Um, and they haven't yet hit uh, required minimum distributions on their IRAs and Social Security. So they're in this sort of uh, Goldilocks zone, if you will, uh, where Roth IRA conversions uh, won't give them a, a huge bump in their, their income. So now let's go ahead and take this into income. Let's go ahead and pay, in theory, nominal taxes on this. Um, and then now we have this bucket um, or increased bucket of uh, non-taxable income in retirement, as well as maybe some multi-generational planning where, um, yes, your heirs will have to take distributions from a Roth IRA, just like they would from a traditional inherited IRA, but they won't pay tax on it. So maybe you're paying tax for your heirs, basically income tax, that is. Um, okay, so that's kind of the premise. I, I like these. I, I think it's fine. But I don't think it's a knee-jerk sort of thing. I don't think it's, oh, well, I'm going to have some periods of low income. Let's convert everything. Um, you know, again, it, I, I think it's a nice way to hedge your bets. Will tax rates go up? I mean, I've been saying they'll go up for years now, and that doesn't seem to happen. Um, I think that's hard to say. Uh, also, will Congress find a way to indirectly at least tax Roth IRA distributions? I could see where maybe Roth IRA distributions later on, in theory, don't change your taxable income, but maybe they get added back to modified adjusted gross income. And that counts for purposes of Medicare premiums or something like that. So I could see some sort of indirect, you know, whatever. I think if you're trying to put all your eggs in one basket and have everything in a Roth IRA, um, that's probably not advisable. But in general, to have um, some of your uh, cash, you know, available cash um, in, in a non-taxable account when you are, you know, in retirement, I, I think that's a nice option to have. Um, so I don't know. I have, I have a few thoughts on that. I will say there's one time where I really, really like it. Um, and this doesn't happen too often. This comes my way is if I have a business owner, usually it's a business owner and they're going to have a big loss for the year, maybe even enough that it creates an operating loss, like they're going to have zero taxable income. I'm like, why not convert? Especially if you're not going to pay any tax at all. Um, so if you can do it pretty much tax-free or at a very low tax bracket, it, it does make a lot more sense. But that was a lot. Tell me your thoughts. I want to know what you, how you think, think about these. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I hate that I, I didn't want to drag you too far into the weeds on that. And I, I think the I think the bottom line is it, it goes back to something you said earlier. It, it kind of depends um, on the, <laughs> the person and their situation. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, Generally speaking, um, I'm not a fan of Roth conversions um, unless the stars are like perfectly aligned. Like, mm -hmm. like you were talking about, the business owner's got a not, net operating loss and they can basically do it in the, you know, for zero, they can do a few dollars for zero tax or at like, you know, 10% mm -hmm. or 12% or something like that average. So um, I think it does, I think there are certain situations where it makes sense where I'm generally not a fan is I see so many, and it sounds like we're on the same page here. I see so many people that seem to just kind of make a blanket prescription that if you're in X tax bracket, um, you mm. should be converting at least up until the amount that would push you up in the next tax bracket. And my feeling is, you know, that's really based on a lot of assumptions uh, about future mm -hmm. tax rates and things like that, none, none of which we know. And so I'm generally not a fan of, you know, taking points off the board, paying taxes today on based on an assumption that may or may not come true. 
But having said that, I, I like you, I can certainly see and have have experienced situations where it makes makes a heck of a lot of sense. So um, I appreciate you indulging me. I just I was curious, and for our listeners, I apologize. We got a little technical there, but. Um, <laughs> I um I, well, I, was, I would imagine your listeners are interested in Roth conversions. Yes, I, I that's fair. Um, so but uh, anyway, th- thanks for indulging me. Um, yeah, yeah. As we start to uh, as we start to wrap up our conversation today, Allison, and this has been great, by the way. So th- thank you again for, oh, for joining us. I had the us. best time. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So um, I think you've already kind of touched on some of this a little bit, but I'd I'd love to just ask you. So. You run a tax practice, uh, you're busy, you've got a lot going on. I know you volunteer and do some things here locally, but when you've got an hour or two to yourself, um, just personal time, um, maybe I should say if you have an hour or two to yourself, <laughs> how, do you, how do you most uh, enjoy spending that time? I, I listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, I do. I love listening to podcasts or audiobooks. Uh, I love going for a walk. I'm telling you, if it's if it's at all not rainy this afternoon, I will definitely be going for a walk after after work. Um, I like to do yoga. <laughs> going back to the beginning of our conversation for sure. Clearly, um, I love to cook. I'm not very good at it, but I'm just very happy in the kitchen trying to put stuff together and seeing how it comes out. What's the What's the meal you most enjoy cooking? Oh well. The meal I probably most enjoy cooking, it, it does actually turn out well, and it's chicken pot pie. It, it's it's a really good recipe, and it's it's a crowd pleaser. So that that one's my favorite. Nice, nice. Um, my wife would be happy. She is a connoisseur of of chicken pot pie. And, ah. <laughs> and what is uh, what is your uh, what's your favorite uh, non financial podcast? My favorite non financial podcast. Oh my gosh, you know. I, there, there's too many to name, but the one that I'm recently into is called Huberman Lab, and it's uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a neurobiologist, neurophysicist, something like that. Physicist, that doesn't make any sense. Neurobiologist and ophthalmologist. Um, he has a lab. He and his students do a lot of experiments, and he basically is just lecturing the general public on like how our body works, how we can function better, how we can see better, how we can build our muscles, like like how you can have better workouts, just like really, really cool stuff. It's like so densely packed. I mean, he's just throwing knowledge at you. And in each episode is probably about an hour, two hours long, but it's excellent. Is it fairly technical or is it like kind of, does he kind of do a good job of putting it into kind of plain English? Both, both. He does not shy away from being technical, but then he breaks it all down so you can understand it, I, which I, is exactly how I like to learn. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you. I haven't heard of that one, so we'll be sure to share a link to that one in the uh, in the show notes. Um, Allison, we've covered a ton today. This has been fun. If there were one thing our listeners could take away from today's conversation, what would you want that one thing to be? Uh, just get educated about taxes. And what, uh, uh, in addition to calling you uh, or reaching out to you, and we'll, we'll give you a chance here in a moment to share how people can do that. Uh, are there any particular resources or a book or a website uh, that you would point people to, to to get better educated if they're if they do want to kind of stay take a DIY approach. Um, my blog is not bad. I write a lot of perennial articles, meaning you know they should be good for however long until maybe tax law greatly changes. Um, so there's probably some good content on there for folks who are, who are looking just for like a little bit of understanding around a particular subject. Um, other than that, 
That's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of places I go to as a, a you know professional, um, but I'm not sure where I would play folks to try my blog. And if that doesn't have your answer, email me and ask me what your question is, and I'll point you in the right direction. How well, about- well, what a perfect segue. So tell people where your blog, where they can find your blog, Allison. Sure, sure. So my website is Atlanta.tax. Go figure. And um, so go to Atlanta.tax and there's all kinds of content out there. The blog is there. There's also um, a contact form. There's also a become a client form uh, for anyone who needs a little bit more in-depth conversation and maybe a relationship. Awesome. Is that is your website the best place for people to just uh, reach out, learn more? Yeah. Or is there any other places you yeah. can point people to? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely share that along with the podcast you mentioned uh, in uh, in the show notes, and uh, I'll uh, include your LinkedIn profile and things like that, so people can uh, reach out and get a hold of you if they've got questions or want to learn more about maybe working with you. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so fun, Russ. Yeah, this has been great, Allison. I um, I'm glad we did it. Um, it's it's always a blast talking to you and catching up. So uh, thanks for. Thanks for taking the time and sharing with us today and then giving a little bit of giving people a little bit of a peek into what it is you do and how you do it. I think uh, I think it's been great. And I think people will get a lot from this conversation. I hope so. And uh, everyone out there for listening. Thanks again for joining us um, again. This has been uh, Women's Retirement Radio, and we will look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.